That's about, that's the extent of our relationship. Yeah, that's <laughs> so this uh, week eight in our Gospel of Mark series called Mark the Evangelist. Uh, if you haven't started to follow Mark the Evangelist on Twitter, he does a good job of keeping you updated. We'll look at some of those posts that he made later on this week. <clears throat> the title of this week's message is Forgiveness of Sins. So full disclosure, this is my favorite New Testament story. I've probably preached this 50 times. And so it's the same sermon. No, I'm just kidding. It's not the same. It's really different. God did some really amazing things late in the week as I was preparing. And just uh, I think you're going to be blown away by what God has done in the lives of um, some of our people, particularly one. Um, Imagine, if you will, being alive during the time of Jesus. And you have a chance to meet him face to face. He comes back by your town. You thought you missed your opportunity because he was there. Then he left and then he comes back and you think, wow, this is like, like a mulligan. I get to try again. What would be your motivation to go through the trouble of seeing Jesus? What would be your motivation at that point? Think about it. If you're a first century person to hear a sermon, to get healed, what would be the reason you would go? How far would you travel Remember, you don't have a car. It's going to either be donkey or foot, one of the two. And if you're allergic to donkey, it's all foot. <laughs> how, how much trouble would you go through to get next to Jesus? What would your hope be in terms of the results of that interaction with Jesus? <clears throat> what would you hope to get out of that meeting? Do, would you go in with expectations? This beyond? No, I would not have any expectations. I'm very spiritual. Yes, you would. I would. We all would. Here's a question. We've already seen some examples of this in our study of the Gospel of Mark, but how many people left satisfied after their meeting with Jesus and how many left disappointed? Didn't get what they wanted. When you come to church on Sunday morning, what expectations do you bring with you? What would, if you will allow me to ask this, what would in your mind constitute a disappointing church service? You know, I got up. I got dressed, and that was a bomb. What would make that as opposed to a service that was satisfying? I went to church today. I got everything I wanted out of it. They really fulfilled my agenda. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Thank you. It was funny. She knew it, the rest of you. How often do we actually interact with Jesus Sometimes we leave unfazed, unimpressed, unchanged. And is that okay? Here's the passage today we're going to be reading. <clears throat> Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And he returned to Capernaum. Remember, he was out in the wilderness because the leper was telling everybody and he had to preach in the outskirts of town. Mayaka, Bradenton, Ellington, you know, those areas. So he returns to Sarasota, I mean Capernaum, after some days. <clears throat> it was reported that he was at home, back to Peter's house. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, some guys came, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near Jesus, they couldn't even get in the front door, mind you. Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. There's a lot packed into those words. We'll get into that a little bit. They removed the roof above him. 
And when they had made an opening in somebody else's house, <laughs> they let down the bed, so it's like at least five feet by two feet, let down the bed which the paralytic lay. <clears throat> and Jesus saw their faith, and he said, the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in, your, in their heart, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <clears throat> and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit, in other words, they read, his, read their minds, that they questioned within themselves. He says to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, paralyzed guy, rise, pick up your bed and go home. <clears throat> And he rose up, immediately picked up his bed, and went out before all of them. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Look at the history side. We look at each, each scripture has three applications. We look at history. What about man? What did he do? And then spiritual or theology. What about God? What does he do? And then devotional. What about me? What about us? What do we do? <clears throat> I've called this interrupting Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus couldn't go into those little towns because of the leper talking about how he'd been healed, even though he wasn't supposed to. He's been in the remote regions, healing, casting out demons, preaching the gospel. Finally, things start to calm down a little bit. So he does what all of us do when we need rest. He goes back home to Capernaum, to Peter's house, where he'd been staying. And then, you know, what happens is there's this story, like, and so you see these pictures up here, right? Like, there were some pictures that Mark the Evangelist uh, posted, uh, the crowd, the people trying to get in the door. There's the one, the paralyzed guy being lowered through the roof. And then uh, running away. I know they have different color hair. That's because he the cat, but, you know, just live with that, okay? So here's what happens. There's these guys that decide, you know, we have a chance. Something we missed out on before. We have a chance because I hear Jesus is back at Peter's house. Everyone crowds the place, and Jesus does what he came to do, right? He's preaching, the gospel to a big crowd at Peter's house. And these men have their paralyzed friend who they clearly love tremendously. They see this window of opportunity for their friend to be healed. But it's clear because of the crowd, the scripture says you could not get even near the front door. They weren't going to be able to get to Jesus. But they don't just leave saying, well, maybe he'll come back again later. Or maybe we'll come back after hours. And we'll see if we can get close to him. <clears throat> See, recent experience has told them that if they don't act, Jesus could be gone the next day. That's what happened a few stories before. Just a few weeks ago in that very same house, Jesus was healing people all night and then stopped in the morning. People are still lined up. The disciples say, Jesus, there's still people here. He says, no, I'm done. I'm going to the next town. So with urgency, these guys who clearly love their friend that can't walk, this paralyzed guy, they hatch this aggressive unconventional, socially unacceptable plan that they know will cause ridicule, but they just did not care. They're going to do whatever it takes to get their friend next to Jesus so that he can be healed, so that he can walk again. And they have decided to say to themselves, whatever it takes, we're going to get our boy next to Jesus. And listen, this is a lot of work. <clears throat> Let me explain what first century roofs in Palestine look like. They're flat. And they're kind of supported by these really big, huge, large beams of wood. 
Then you have smaller boards kind of crisscrossing them. And then there's a whole lot of thatch work, like little twigs and, and things like uh, reeds and, and wheat plants kind of thing. And they're all woven together. And then they are covered and sealed with about a foot of very thick mud-type plaster. A foot. Thick. You got the big beams, the little pieces of wood, all the thatch work, a bunch of clay. And then on top of that, big, huge tiles covering it all. This isn't a tent. It's a roof. So first, these men must make a good guess of exactly where Jesus is standing inside the house. Right? Because if they're going to dig a hole, they can't dig a hole in the crowd and not get next to Jesus. So I don't know how they're putting their ear on the top. I don't know how they figure it out. But they think, all right, Jesus is over there next to the kitchen. All right, let's walk here. Five. Okay, right here. This place right here. We've got our friend up. We've climbed up the back of the house. We're on top of the roof. We've got him on the stretcher. This is the place. Jesus is right underneath here. Let's start digging. They climb to the roof with their friend, with their tools, find the spot, remove the tiles, dig through a foot of mud, tear off some thatch work, get rid of some boards, and all that other stuff. The hole must be wide and long enough for the stretcher, probably about five feet long at least, two feet wide minimum. It probably took what? 45 minutes to an hour? It's not like a three-second deal. This is a long time they're up there. No power tools, just saws, hammers, and shovels. Jesus is preaching. Plaster's falling. <laughs> Dirt. Noise. Bang, 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 bang. You know, scraping and shoveling and breaking and tearing and all this stuff. And it's kind of like what you guys do when I'm preaching and you go to the back to get coffee. It's very annoying. It's distracting. <laughs> But Jesus is amazed. He's stunned. I wonder what he was doing while these guys are ripping Peter's roof open. <laughs> Peter's probably saying, Jesus, can you stop him? Uh, no, Peter. <laughs> it's part of my plan. Really, Jesus, your plan is to destroy my house? Yep. Did Jesus just keep preaching? Do you think he did? Like, like, he must be really good, right, if people were paying attention and people are ripping the roof open? You guys, I lose you if somebody leaves their phone ringer on. <laughs> right? I see it all, by the way. Are they mad? Did something go wrong? What's going on? I know sometimes you guys do it. I'm thinking, don't walk out on me. I'll do better. Jesus just keeps preaching, I guess. Or maybe he just sat down for a minute and just watched. <laughs> Smiling, <laughs> giggling with pride at what these men were doing for their friend. Jesus, okay, you stop. What? Just, just wait. <laughs> Nobody goes anywhere. It's a pretty amazing scene, right? Rude, but aggressive, full of love and compassion. Let's look at the spiritual side. I've called this Jesus disappoints. So all this is happening, right? <clears throat> Jesus sees the friend. They lower down the stretcher. And Jesus forgives. What do you think the paralytic was thinking as his friends who went through all this amazing effort? He saw on top of the roof first. 
they're digging a hole, right? Then they're lowering him down in front of a crowd of people, hundreds. Jesus is watching all of this unfold. They lower him down right next to Jesus. He's sitting there waiting for the stretcher to come down the ropes. And he stops and he looks right in the eyes of the paralytic. What do you think went through his mind as Jesus looks right at him? In the eyes and he opens his mouth and he's beginning to say something. Here is the moment. I'm about to be healed. This is the most important moment in my life right here, right now, face to face with Jesus. I'm paralyzed. He has the ability to make me walk again. And because of the amazing effort of all my friends, I'm right here. Can you imagine the emotion, the anticipation? Here it goes. Jesus opens his mouth and he says, your sins are forgiven. What? Forgiveness? The dude can't even walk. What good is forgiveness? And who are you to forgive anyway, Jesus? You're not God. Forgiveness. I mean, talk about anticlimactic. It seems to humanize that Jesus has done a bait and switch. Ah, you thought I was going to hear you, but nope, just forgiveness. Ha <laughs> ha, try again next time. All that work for this? You think the friends were disappointed? Would you be disappointed? That's not why they came here. We wanted something different to happen with Jesus than what did. We can go to the temple anytime and have the priest do a sacrifice if we're interested in forgiveness. No, we want what the temple can't give us, which is healing. We want what we came for. We want a miracle. We want our friend to walk again. And then Jesus confronts, but not the paralytic and his friends. So here's what happened. The scribes are there the religious leaders. And they know what Jesus means when he says, your sins are forgiven. They know because they know the scripture. They know here's what Jesus is really saying. Hey, I'm God. Because only God can forgive sins. So they know what he means. Understand why they were there. They weren't there because they liked Jesus. They weren't there because they wanted to hear what he has to say. They saw him as a threat. They were scouting. They were spying. They were trying to find weakness and sneaking around like the Patriots. <laughs> Cheaters. Where's Dylan? Look, this is nothing short of blasphemy what Jesus is doing here. Who does he think he is to forgive sins? But they don't say this. They're just thinking it. Inside their minds. If I knew what you guys were thinking about my sermons half the time, I would just cry. Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he's about to blow them away. He is going to read their minds. And Jesus simply asked this question. Yeah, I see you got a problem with what I just said, guys. What would be easier, to forgive sins or to heal? In other words, what's wrong? Isn't forgiveness of sins more important than healing? Because let me tell you something, fellas, without me forgiving you, you're toast. I'm God, I'm in charge, I'm in control, and you need me to forgive. 
But then Jesus does heal. You see, everyone there had one expectation of what Jesus would do. And he does something totally different. But then he's about to make it very clear he has the authority that they, the scribes, don't have. He can forgive. Why? Because he is Jehovah. He says, look, just so you know that I am God, I'm going to go ahead and heal him as well as forgive him. And he turns to the paralytic and he tells him, yo, get up, carry your stretcher and go home. And Luke adds that as they left, the paralytic was glorifying God, a paralytic no more. He got it all that day, didn't he? I mean, he got a new body. He got a new heart. He got a new life. This guy has been totally remade, a new creation. All the old things are gone. Everything is new. He is forgiven. He is connected to the Father for all eternity. And now he can walk around telling people about it. He didn't just heal him. He changed his heart. He became his savior. The paralytic knows what just happened. He knows he got far and away above and beyond what his friends were expecting. Luke 5, 25 says, immediately he rose up before them, picked up his bed, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Can you imagine the scene here? As he gets up, walks out of Peter's house, the crowd is parting ways. They're like, they're, they're afraid. What are we doing? He's walking, he's talking, he's excited, he's forgiven. What's going on here? And he walks out of the house carrying the bed. What a, what a symbol. Can you imagine the fear in the scribes? Uh-oh. These people are going to learn soon. They don't need us anymore. Because not only can this guy forgive, he can heal. And what about the friends of the paralytic? All they hope for and more comes true. Talk about being on cloud nine or roof nine, whatever it is you want to. All right, so let's talk about the personal side. I want to talk about the power and irony. So here was the social media, the, the tweet that I put out this week. We need forgiveness much more than we need healing. See, that's the, that's the power in this story. That's the irony what was expected, what they thought would happen, isn't what happens. In addition, what they thought their friend needed wasn't really what he needed. Jesus uses the irony of this story to point out, you don't get it. I have authority to forgive sins, and that's the reason I'm here, not to heal. Here's the next part of the irony, which is so amazing. The paralytic, get this now. He never would have gotten next to Jesus and gotten forgiveness had he not been paralyzed. But these guys didn't want forgiveness at first. They wanted healing. But Jesus, get this, he gives them what they're not even asking for. Unsolicited forgiveness? Ridiculous. See, in the temple, you got to ask for it. You got to jump through hoops. You got to do certain things. You got to be a certain way. You got to bring a certain type of animal, pay a certain amount of money, and got to go this and that and the other, dress the right, you know, all that stuff. And then maybe you'll get it if everything goes right. Jesus is throwing out forgiveness like Oprah throws out new cars. You get forgiveness. You get forgiveness. You get forgiveness. Jesus gave him eternal healing. 
when all they thought he needed was temporary earthly healing. See, look, I'm not judging these guys. These people had no idea what the cross meant. The resurrection, the gospel itself is still unfolding. It's breaking news. They don't have all the facts yet. So logically, healing is all they would expect from Jesus. They don't know that he is the savior of the world yet. We do. We have an incredible benefit, an advantage. That's even more irony. Jesus exceeds their expectations far beyond what they wanted. So let's talk about what we want. We all have certain earthly expectations of our Savior. It's okay, admit it. I do. The irony for us is that we can't even come to Jesus with pure motives. Think about that for a minute. When you come to Jesus, your motives aren't pure. Because in our natural state, we tend to focus on the earthly impact that comes from meeting with Jesus. Motives so distorted, so preoccupied with life on earth that it's impossible, really. These men weren't climbing, digging, thinking we are getting forgiveness for our friend. And if we are honest, our natural hope, yeah, forgiveness is cool, but it'd be really great if you could give me a blessed, less chaotic Happy life full of great relationships, Jesus. Yes, I'm saved, forgiven, great. Now, can you fix my mess? That's what we want. What about what we need? When Jesus finally does interact with us on a supernatural level, our motives begin to change. And we start to see a bigger picture. See, we... In the church in 2019, had this incredible advantage of living after the cross, the benefit of history, the gospel fully revealed. Unlike those guys, we know our greatest need. The greatest miracle is not so that we can walk again, it is forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness is our greatest need and the main reason Jesus came to earth. The work that cost, it didn't cost him anything to heal, it cost him his life to forgive. That's why he says, what is easier? He is saying forgiveness is the actual miracle here, people. So I was trying to figure out this week how to visualize this the best way for you. And so... I started thinking through it, and I had a long conversation uh, with a dear friend. Chris, come on up. You guys make room for Chris. We can just kind of roll up here, all right? Roll over her toes. That would be so funny, wouldn't that? That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love that. That would be great. I right, give Chris that microphone, so. I love this guy. Chris is here right now modeling one of our core values of the grace life, which is vulnerability. And he's doing it for your benefit. So I called Chris up. I said, Chris, I want to do this. I want to say this. I want to go here. It's going to be very emotional for me and for you. Can, will you do it? And it's like, he says, duh, of course I'll do it. I'm all in. I said, are you sure? You're probably going to cry. He says, no, you're going to cry. He's right, I will. <laughs> 
For those of you that don't know the story, Chris is in a wheelchair because he was in an auto accident when he was driving under the influence. How long were you in that car, Chris? Uh, I was trapped in between my car and a tree for about six hours. Six hours. Yeah. Safe to say you weren't living for Jesus at the time. Nowhere near it. Safe to say you needed forgiveness. Definitely. Okay. So I've been with Chris now, what is it, 11 years we've been ministering together. Mm -hmm. Help me start along with Ann Curtis. Help me start the Nightlife Center. Uh, We've been together ever since. You only been mad at me look, once. One, that, just one time I told you. That's the one time I told you. There's been every, the point is, Chris and I, in many respects, are married together in ministry in so many ways. He's been such a huge blessing to me. He's a man of integrity and character. And I will tell you, if I ever thought there was a chance that my brother could walk again, I'd do whatever it took to get him next to Jesus. Climb on a house, dig through a roof, no big deal. Well, I'd probably ask Slater to do it because I'm not good with tool stuff. (laughs) Slater, can I hire you to dig the hole through the roof? Is that probably more accurate? That's probably what I would do. Of course, I would love my brother to be healed. But I'll tell you right now, I'm more thankful that he's been forgiven. Chris, would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. So our brother, Chris, you guys know the story. You know he's in a wheelchair. He's here every week. He serves at Grace Life, at Night Life in many different ways. He's glad he's forgiven. And why is that? Because Jesus has taught us that being forgiven, Chris and I, he's taught, and many of you have learned this lesson. He's taught us that being forgiven is the main thing, the main miracle that we need. Here's the irony, right? Chris, you probably wouldn't have met Jesus without the car accident. Tell us a little bit about... Very unlikely. Yeah, what, were you, mean, what was your life like before the accident? It was a mess. I mean, drugs and alcohol just... I mean, if the accident hadn't happened, something else would have happened, probably even worse. So get this. The accident is part of his healing. The paralytic would never have gotten next to Jesus had he not been paralyzed. This is, I want to give you a 2019 visual of what's going on here. I would probably guess that I love Chris as much as those guys love their friend. And I do. I love this guy. He's been a huge encouragement to me. He laughs at like 98% of my jokes. How good is that? Right, Chris? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, you know, we got to keep your ego boosted. So. <laughs> you, have, you, have a trouble. you have trouble with that. You don't have a big enough ego. Guys, um, this, is, this, is, uh, this is what the grace life is about, right? I wouldn't trade him for anyone. And I'm so thankful that God has done the same miracle on the paralytic that he did on Chris. What miracle is that? Forgiveness. That was the real miracle. Thank you, Chris, for helping me for this part of the sermon. I appreciate it, buddy. Here, I'll take that. Isn't it cool to have a guy like him in your church? 
spiritual paralytics. See, once you realize you're not the friends, you're the paralyzed man. We are all, without Jesus, spiritual paralytics. And when we recognize that, we are setting ourselves up to see the greatest miracle ever happen, and that is forgiveness. And it is our spiritual paralysis that brings us to Jesus. He says, I didn't come to save the well, I came to save the sick. It is our spiritual paralysis that enables us to see the greatest miracle is Jesus saying to you, your sins are forgiven. Now, maybe you came to church today for all sorts of reasons. I don't know what they are. But in this moment, it's possible that some of you are starting to say, I didn't come for this, but this might be why I'm here. Now your biggest desire might not be the delicious donuts, <laughs> but forgiveness of sin. And I'll tell you right now, if you feel that in your heart right now, it's not because I've somehow been able to manipulate some emotion in you that has nothing to do with it. You know what it is? Jesus has met with you. He's met with you, and he is right now exceeding your expectation of why you came. And he's revealing to you what you need more than anything today. It's that you today have an opportunity for forgiveness. And I'm willing, as your pastor, as your friend, we are willing as a church family, we will do whatever it takes to get you what you need from a meeting with Jesus. You know why? Because we've all been there. We will metaphorically dig through a roof if necessary. Why? Because the gospel, not because we think you can get something that's earthly, because the gospel has been fully revealed to us and we know what the great miracle is. Do you want the miracle of forgiveness of sins? The one that Chris has experienced? Maybe today is the time. And if it is, I invite you. Call me later. Grab one of us after church. Maybe today is your face-to-face -face moment where Jesus says, I'm getting ready to show you what the real miracle is. And it's your sins being forgiven. Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you for <clears throat> forgiving my brother, Chris. Thank you you made him a brother of, for all eternity. Thank you for how you've transformed him. <clears throat> thank you for forgiving me. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in the hearts of people today in this room. Some of them, you might just be reminding them of how much they had to be thankful for because you have forgiven them. Maybe some for the first time have had their motives transformed and they recognize, wow, I'm the paralyzed man. I need the miracle of forgiveness. We don't know what you're doing, but we stand ready to serve your purpose 
in any way we can in the lives of those that you are calling and transforming. 